0: You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. You know, we sang a few songs um, today um, about God's presence and the importance of God's presence. That last one, it's all I need, it's all I want, it's all I seek. Think, Is that really true? Is that really true? That all, is that really all that we need? Is that really all that we seek? Is that really all, is that really a game changer? Well, at River City Church, we believe that it is. We believe that without the Holy Spirit, there is zero life. That He is the part of the Trinity that helps us to experience God. And when we began River City Church over 10 years ago, we began with that reality in mind. That without the presence of the Spirit, without the power of the Spirit, active in our life, we will not experience the life that God has for us. We believe it's everything. And what I wanna do over the next few weeks is look at a chapter in the New Testament, Romans 8, and the title of the chapter is called Life in the Spirit. And there are theologians that would say that in the New Testament, Romans is the climax of the whole New Testament. The Romans is the most theological book not yet, we don't want any scripture up yet, that Romans is the most theological book in the New Testament. And and, and some would say that chapter eight is the most, or is the climax of the chapter of Romans, It is the most important chapter of Romans. And chapter eight is about the spirit. Chapter eight is about the Holy Spirit and the importance of living a life filled with the spirit. I mean, so, I mean, that kind of stuff doesn't phase me. I'm not, I don't even think about that. Oh, big deal, whatever. I like the whole Bible and, you know, whatever. But just to create context for the importance of what we're gonna look at and the seriousness of it and the importance of the Holy Spirit, what Paul thought about the Holy Spirit. We, we always think about 1 Corinthians, the gifts of the Spirit, right? That's what we talk about when we talk about Paul's letters on the Holy Spirit. But Paul says, this is the most important chapter when he writes it. He says, this is what is central to the work of the Spirit. And when we look at, the climax of the New Testament in Romans. We look at the climax of, of Romans being chapter eight. We look at the last, what the whole chapter builds up to. There's two verses that the whole chapter builds up to. Romans eight, chapter or verses 38 and 39, and it goes like this. I don't need to look at it because I memorized it when I was a little kid at a camp called Pioneer Plunge. And it goes like this. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know, I know, I know. Why am I not leading worship? Exactly. That's what I was thinking. But... um. (laughs) Some would say that this is the most important verse in the New Testament. Some would say because the New Testament is the most important part of the Bible, even though there's not a most important part of the Bible, they would say these verses are the most important verses in the Bible because Paul says they speak to the primary role of the Holy Spirit, to be reminding us, to be helping us, to be encouraging us that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of our Father. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of our Father. So first point, the Holy Spirit teaches us that we cannot be separated from God's love. Why is that so important? Why does Paul think that is so important? because this is what separates us from the world. When we believe that we are connected to God's love, that the Father loves us, that he cares for us, no matter what, no regardless of what we do, when we believe that, we live differently. We live dangerously. We live for him, we trust him. It affects our relationship to other people. It affects our relationship with our job. It affects our relationship to money, to our children, to the values in our life. Every part of our life is touched when we truly believe and live like we cannot be separated from the Father's love. There is nothing that can separate us from His love, not even death. Nothing. If we believe that we can be separated, we'll live in fear, we'll have worry in our life, we'll have anxiety. And it will be impossible for us to experience the freedom and the joy that we should be experiencing as Christians. You know, have you ever seen at a theme park at Disney or any theme park like a four-year-old who's tethered on a leash? (laughs) I know. And if you're one of those parents, I'm not judging you. I'm about to make fun of you a little bit, but I promise, like, I know as a parent, we're doing the best that we can, to do the best job that we can, and and, and, and for some of you, that, that tether works, and, and and that tether is a good thing, and you might have four or five or six kids. I know, Josh. I know you got some tethers, bro. You don't have to talk to me about that. I know. I have a few tethers, too, but anyway, well, there have been studies that have shown that that actually brings freedom and joy to a four-year-old who feels tied down to their parent. There have been studies that have shown that. That there's actually, is that amazing? That's a lie, that's a lie. (laughs) Of course there hasn't been any studies that have shown that. Why? Because a four-year-old doesn't want to be tethered or tied down because that's preventing them from experiencing freedom, right? That's not true, but I'll tell you this. I know, it sounds like I'm contradicting myself, doesn't it? Well, I'm about to hit you in the face with the truth. Here it goes. <laughs> but is this not true? I have, I have four children. And, and I'm not gonna tell you which one of them th- this happens with. Because my kids are all awesome. But there's one of them that for some reason over the years, whenever we would be at a theme park, they would always wanna know where we were. They would always wanna know that we were nearby, that we hadn't left them. Now, I think it happened because we did leave him one time. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. But I now not claim that. Take responsibility for that, honey. But, um, but they always want to know where we are. And they'll go play, and then they'll look around to see if we're nearby, to see if we are with them, to see if we see them, to see if we've been disconnected. And if they look around and see us right away, they go back and play, right? But every once in a while, we'll move or we'll go sit down and they would, you'd see panic on their eyes and fear on their eyes and they would stop playing, run and go find us to make sure that they had not been separated from us, to make sure that we are still there, that we're still available, that we had not gone anywhere. That's true, I think, for our relationship with God. That if we really believe he's not gonna leave us, if we really believe he's always gonna love us, if we really believe that he's not going anywhere, regardless of what we do, we are gonna play more in life. We are gonna trust him more. We're gonna have more joy. We're gonna have less fear. We're gonna have less anxiety. And this is what, We're built for as believers to experience life to the full. Now, I'll tell you this you can be a Christian and not believe this to be true. You can be a Christian and not believe that you cannot be separated from God's love. You can believe, yeah, I might be able to be separated from God's love, but you can still be a believer. You can believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. You can believe that you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ, professing with your mouth. But if you do not learn to embrace, if you do not experience or allow the Holy Spirit to come in and convince you of this, work this truth into your life, you will not experience the joy and the freedom that you have been designed for. This is the experience that we are built for. This is the primary work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Believing, convincing, working in us through experience, through knowledge, through relationships with other people, through worship, to convince us to believe and live like we are connected all the time to God's love. To believe and live and find life and security in our relationship to the Father. It creates a safety for us. It makes us feel secure. It diminishes anxiety and fear in our life. Again, the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how Paul gets to this kind of climactic verses at the end of chapter eight. But this week, I want to specifically preach on one particular area or one particular lie that we believe when it comes to things that can separate us from God's love, and it's condemnation. It's Condemnation. In verses 1 to 4, he shows us that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God because the Spirit unites us with Jesus Christ, what he has done for us. Specifically, the Spirit unites us to what Jesus Christ has done, and because of that, there's no condemnation. That's my second point. Because we're united with Christ through the Holy Spirit, there's no condemnation. What does that mean, that there's no condemnation? Well, let's read these verses and kind of head into this. There there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in our likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according to the flesh who who walk not according to the flesh but according to the to the spirit. Father, we pray that you would come now through your holy spirit and that we would understand what it means that we are not condemned anymore. What it means that we cannot be separated with condemnation from you. Amen. I'm basically just preaching on the first verse. But what these four verses are saying is that the law, which we are accountable to, we could not accomplish because of our weakness, because of our sin, because of our flesh. And so what did God do? Because he loved us, he sent Jesus to accomplish it for us. And because Jesus has accomplished it, we are now free in the spirit, it says, the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus, connected us to the work of Christ, and therefore we have been freed from condemnation. That's basically what the four verses are gonna say, right? But Paul begins like this. He says, therefore, there's, now con- con- there's no condemnation. Therefore, why does he start with therefore? Normally you'd say like, you know, if, you, if I started a sentence, I said, hey, Tim, therefore I threw up. You'd be like, what? Therefore I threw up? But that's what Paul's doing. He says, therefore, there's no condemnation. It's the first flipping verse in the chapter. What's he talking about? What happened that he needs to say that there's therefore? Because you would say something like, you know, I ate 50 eggs, therefore I threw up. So what's Paul connecting? What's the connecting? What's Paul connecting us to? Well, well he just finished talking about it. He just finished talking about, in Romans chapter 7, I'm a Christian, but I still struggle with sin. People, there's a lot of people that don't, they argue about this a lot. How can Paul, the apostle, he's a Christian. He couldn't be saying that he struggles with sin. Because he's a he's like not just any Christian, he's the Christian of Christians. I mean, besides Jesus, there's Paul, right? But in chapter seven, he says this when I want to do good, this is just a few verses up in chapter and and, I'm not yeah, that's what I'm saying. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another principle at work in the members of my body. listen to this language, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work with my members. What a wretched man am I? I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? So then I myself in my mind, am a slave to God's law. I love God's law. I'm I'm a believer and I love God's law. I want to do God's law. But in my sinful nature, I'm I'm a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, even though you struggle with sin, there's still no condemnation for you and God. See how he's connecting those two? So he's talking about our reality. And there are some churches that would say, well, if you're pursuing God, you're filled with the Spirit, you're loving, you're not gonna sin anymore. But Paul's saying, no, I love God. I wanna do his law. His law is written on my heart through the power of the Spirit. But I still struggle with sin. I still struggle with sin. But, therefore, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Once we belong to God, even if we sin, even the thing that once separated you from God can no longer separate you from God and cause you to be condemned. That's my third point, I think. Do we keep that? No, just put, I forgot, we didn't add that. Once you belong to God, what Paul's saying is this. Once you belong to Jesus, once you have received the blessing of coming into fellowship with Jesus, living under the work of Jesus Christ, even though you still struggle with sin, you are no longer condemned. So what does it mean? What is the difference? Because I know if you're like me, if I know if you're like me, you get excited about being a Christian for a little while, right? Yeah, and you do pretty well. You're reading your Bible, you're worshiping, and then you, get, you, you do something stupid or struggle. You struggle with sin, and then what happens? What do you feel? Oh, man, God doesn't love me anymore. I feel condemned. I feel, I feel horrible. This is horrible. I know God loves me, and, and so, okay, and now I just, eat, I'll ask for forgiveness of my sin, and then I'll feel great again, right? That's kind of how it works in our mind. But that's not what Paul's saying happens. He's saying there's no condemnation for us any longer. But that feels like condemnation. But when we look at this word condemnation, it's a legal word. It's something. I'm not even going to try to say it. Okay? Katakarima. Kata means against, krima means judgment. It's a very simple legal word that means you're guilty. God's judgment against you is guilt based on your sin, based on your brokenness. In Romans 6, 23, it says this, for the wage of sin is death, or the penalty, the judgment for our sin requires there to be death, requires for us to pay that to God. But when we become a Christian, we come under the work of Jesus Christ. He pays that debt for us in a legal sense, once and for all. So you are not condemned any longer. There's no more punishment. The punishment is taken away. God has forgiven you. God has pardoned you. The wage that is owed for your death has been paid by Jesus Christ. Judgment or the ruling that you deserve, Jesus has taken. But we don't talk like that and we don't act like that when we say, Well, when I I believe in Jesus because Jesus died on the cross for my sins and, and then if I believe in Jesus and I confess my sins, then I'm not condemned. But it doesn't say that you're not condemned. It says something much stronger than that. It says, now there is no condemnation. There is no more condemnation for you. You're forgiven once and for all. But if we believe that we have to receive forgiveness to be pardoned again, what happens? We live in and out of condemnation. Oh, I sinned, I'm in condemnation. I'm broken relationship with God. I feel like crap, better ask for forgiveness. Oh, now I'm back in relationship with God. This is awesome. Oh, I screwed up again. Oh, condemnation again. I feel crappy, this is bad. God doesn't love me anymore. Oh, better ask for forgiveness. Oh, now God loves me again. When you live like that, you're living in a lie you're believing something that Paul is saying is no longer true about you. What Paul is saying about you and about me and for anyone who follows Jesus Christ is that there is no more now or forever any more condemnation, that the realm of condemnation, that the separation of God no longer exists. There is no longer a risk to you. You are no longer living in that realm. Never again, for there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. No principality, not even death, can separate you from the love of God. That's powerful. That's an amazing truth. And so we do not live in this lowly realm of condemnation like people who don't follow Jesus. We live in a different place. We belong to a king who says he will always love us. He will never forsake us. There's nothing that can separate separate you from my love. Not height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, anything's present, nor things to come. Not even death can separate you from my love. So start living like it, is what Jesus says. And Paul's trying to communicate to us. Start living like there's nothing that can separate you from my love. What a powerful truth. And so, Imagine this, Jesus in heaven. It says that Jesus is in heaven as your advocate, talking to the Father, advocating for you. And in our minds, I think what we think is, man, I just sinned. Hey, Jesus, talk to dad, see if you forgive us for this one. I know you died for my sins. And we're back here, right? And we kind of come before Jesus. And Jesus is like, yo, I know, Antley, Father, Antley is like 962 times in the same area he sinned in. Father, will you please forgive him again? That's what we think. That's why we think God's mad with us, sad with us or disappointed with us. That's not true. This is what happens. We're in Jesus is in heaven advocating for us. We sin, we break his law again. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. I've paid for that. It would be unjust of God to not forgive us every time we sin. It's a legal issue that's been settled by Jesus Christ. Not an emotional one. It's not about love. It's not about grace. It's not about His mercy. It's God's love, it's God's grace, and His mercy that put Jesus on the cross. That's where His love, grace, and mercy showed up. But when it comes to condemning us, it has been paid in full by Jesus Christ. And so, God, it would be like God is requiring two payments for one debt. Does that make sense? That's powerful. That's crazy. It's a justice issue. And because we know God is just, we know the price has been paid. We know it. We know that we know that we know there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Father, Antley, take him back. I've paid the price for his sin and I've paid it again and again and again and you have to And he wants to, and he showed us that he wanted to by sacrificing his son for us. You know, when your family, someone in your family disobeys you or they hurt you if you're a parent, one of your children, they sin against you, they're rude or disrespectful or they steal from you or something evil, right? And they come back to you and they ask for forgiveness. They're not saying things like, hey, dad, please write me back in the will, They're not saying stuff like, hey, dad, would you get out the papers again? And can I, could you sign, you know, we sent this legal document to make sure that I'm, I'm, I, have, I can keep the Fowler or the last name again. Will you bring me back into the family? No, he's asking for forgiveness to restore our relationship, to restore the love between us so that we can be right in relationship and experience the blessings of that relationship. But he's not jeopardized in any way being a part of my family, being my son or daughter. There's nothing that any of my children could do that would disqualify or would jeopardize my love for them like that, nothing. They might do something so evil that I would have to keep them away, but I would still ache for them. I would still love them. I would still want them to change their behavior, to be, to be back in relationship, but they would never stop being a part of my family. And that's what's happened with Jesus. We come under his blood and his sacrifice. Legal judgment has moved off of us forever. Martin Lloyd-Jones, this theologian, says this. Do you know that most about this verse, do you know that most of your troubles today are due to the failure, your failure to realize the truth of this verse? Have you thought about that? Try this. Next time you're in a struggle, next time you're in trouble, next time you're in some kind of pain, ask yourself, if I really believed there was no condemnation for me, if I really believed nothing can separate me from the love of God, if I really believed that, really to the bottom of my heart, the bottom of my toes, would I be reacting differently right now? Because we feel like we're condemned, because we feel like God doesn't love us, or that he's sad with us, or that he's mad with us. Some of us struggle. We hurt people we don't want to hurt. We say things we don't want to say. We're angry, we're bitter, and what's at the root of those things is believing and experiencing that nothing can separate us from the Father's love. This is the number one wound that we see God heal in ministry time at our church. It's why when you come forward again and again, people tell you, I just see the Father pouring out his love on you. I see the Father looking at you with affection. I see the Father wanting to hold you in his arms. I see the Father just being so pleased with you, so filled with adoration for you. Again and again and again, That is the story that God is telling in and through our church. The staff joke, we're like, I know, the Father's love again during ministry. It's always about the Father's love. And we get frustrated at times even. But when you read this, the climax of the climax of the climax, these two verses, Paul's saying there's nothing more important for the Holy Spirit to convince us of in our life that there's nothing that can separate us from his love. Not even condemnation. A stand.